Angela Evans, the Herald and Angel Evangelist Angela Evans, um, as the reporter. And um, Roger decided to give the Samaritan woman a name. And so her name is Leah. That's the name that he gave her. Um, she's one of many women in the New Testament that doesn't have a name. The other thing to remember as you hear this, this is the longest conversation that Jesus had with anybody in all of Holy Scripture. Which is kind of fascinating too. That he decided to have it with who he wasn't supposed to even talk to. <laughs> in the middle of the hot sun. And uh, he surprised everybody by talking to it to, to her, including her. <laughs> and then and then when it comes to theology. God help us, we're not going to figure all that out tonight because it's some of the deepest and um, hardest to understand theology that Jesus says anywhere in the Bible. So there's all those things, it's got all those things going for it. Um, so tonight, um, in the midst of all of the news that we've been hearing about the, the, the uh, coronavirus and all of those things that are happening and shutting down and secrets and closing stuff down and um, colleges closing and schools closing and, and all of those things, um, I think our news station, WJWS, has heard many reports about this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and so we're, to learn more about this Jesus... We're working on interviewing people, several people, in fact, who have witnessed him firsthand. Tonight, um, we've sent Angela Evans to interview Leah, a woman from Samaria who had an interesting encounter with Jesus earlier today. So I'm going to turn it over to, to Angela and Leah. WJWS News 3, outside the village of Sakar in Samaria. I'm talking with Leah, who caused quite a stir in Sakar earlier today when she reported an encounter with a wandering Jewish teacher by the name of Jesus. Leah, I understand you came hurrying into the village this afternoon, claiming that you met the Messiah when you were getting water from Jacob's well. Did you tell us what happened to make you say this? Yes, Angela, but your question gets ahead of the story. What do you mean? I didn't think that he was anyone special at first. My ideas about him emerged only gradually. What was your first impression? Well, at first I was quite annoyed. I was coming at noon in the heat of the day, eager to fill my water jar from the well, and there was this Jewish man. I couldn't figure out why he was there, and I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to get my water. Why not? This situation was all wrong. Jews don't associate with us Samaritans. And men, whether Jew or Samaritan, aren't supposed to talk with women who aren't from their family. Did he try to keep you away from the well? Oh, no. He even spoke to me and asked for a drink of water. 
Did you give him a drink? Why not? I asked him why he, a Jewish man, was asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. Then he said that if I knew who he was, I'd ask him for some living water. What is living water? I'm not sure. I thought he meant running water, like in a river instead of well water, but I didn't know how he could get any water since he didn't have a bucket. The truth is he offended me a bit because I thought he was trying to say that he was better than our ancestor Jacob who first dug this well. Maybe though he meant something different, for he said that his water would keep people from ever getting thirsty. I think he said something about eternal life, but I was thinking about how great it would be if I always had enough water and didn't need to come to the well anymore. Is that when you began to think he was the Messiah? Not yet. Don't rush my story. Something else happened first. What was that? He asked me to get my husband. I tried to avoid his question, and then he said, Right, you have had five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. I was shocked, for he seemed to know the whole truth about me. You seem to have been unfortunate in your relationships with men. (laughs) That's one way of putting it. Twice widowed, three times divorced. I'm a little weary of relationships with men right now, but that's not the point. What is the point? That he knew the truth about me so exactly. I decided then that he must be a prophet. How did he react to that? He didn't really react. But we began to discuss the differences between Samaritan and Jewish religions. Then he said that true religion would go beyond the physical places where we both worship. God is a spirit, and we should worship God in spirit and in truth. What did he mean by that? I really don't know, but somehow it aroused in me that this man was opening up for me a deeper understanding of God. That's when I said something about the Messiah. And he said, I am he. He said that to you, a Samaritan woman? That is quite amazing, isn't it? I understand that this is the first time he said who he is so publicly. Really? I wonder what this says about this Jesus, if he chose to reveal his special identity first to you. I agree that it's an important question. He seemed to mean that worshiping God. He seemed to mean that worshiping God goes beyond the divisions we have often built between us. Now that this day is almost over, what does it mean for you? I'm sure I'll be thinking about it for quite a while. I've learned two things today. First, I'm convinced that this Jesus is special, and He is here to help us have a deeper relationship with God. Also, He has shown me that God knows and cares about each one of us whether we're Jewish or Samaritan, woman or man. Would you like to get some of his water? His water? Yes, the living water he talked about. Oh, yeah, yes I would. Do you think this living water has something to do with worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Perhaps. It may be bringing the eternal life you said he mentioned. This has been a very special day. My thirst has been satisfied in several ways. But my appetite has also been whetted for more of this living water from Jesus. Thank you, Leah, for answering our questions about your encounter with this Jesus at Jacob's Well. We'll back to you in the studio at WJS News 3. Thank you, Angela, for an illuminating report. Thank you both.
so there's a bunch of stuff in there, right? All kinds of stuff. But for me, the most important thing that's in there and what is so uh, incredible about the story is first, of course, that Jesus is talking to this woman who doesn't have a name. Remember that? Roger decided to give her a name. But she didn't have a name. He wasn't supposed to talk to her. Um, so it takes me back to a couple of different places. One of those was um, in when I went to South Africa a number of years ago. Um, sat next to a man who was a naturalized citizen of South Africa. He was white. He was from Germany. And we were sat next to each other on the airplane going from Cape Town up to, um, up to uh, Pretoria. And we were talking, this was only a couple of years after the fall of apartheid and the elections, the free elections that had happened for the first time. And he admitted to me that he was afraid to go to the polls to vote because he was afraid that he was going to be killed. He was a huge strapping dude, too. Uh, probably six foot four and a very big man. And that he was also terrified that he was going to have to touch or be touched by other by black South Africans. And he said that and he said that he was ashamed of that now. And it turned out that he had to wait in line for eight hours to vote. And that as he sat and they stood in the line, they all got to know each other, all these different races of people. Because instead of being adversarial and that he expected to be there, or that are people taking it out on him because he was a white guy, they all talked with each other for the first time. And after they voted, they shook hands and they hugged each other. So that's the first one. Another time in South Africa, um, this wonderful friend of mine, Maki Masenga. Maki is a Presbyterian pastor, but he was the chaplain to Bishop Tutu when Bishop Tutu did the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Can you imagine being the chaplain to that, all that crazy stuff that they revealed and talked about? But Maki was made the pastor of this very large church that originally had been all Afrikaner uh, white. And um, he said at first the people didn't know what to do at the end of the sermon. At the end of the worship service, they came past me and they weren't sure if they were allowed to shake hands with me. And so he said, so we've changed that. And with that, as he said that to us, we were waiting to be served lunch by the ladies of the church. It was with a group of other uh, seminary students and pastors and professors. And this little lady with her wonderful Afrikaner accent was walking along the back. And she heard what Maki said, that you know, now that they, they shake hands and they do all the things that normally happen at worship and it's like it never occurred, she yelled out, and I hug him every week too in this Afrikaner accent that just brought down the house because you don't know about all those things. So um, that's part of what seems to be happening here. People's, um, you know, one story. So as I was digging around, too, and preparing this, uh, one of my very favorite commentators, um, her, her name um, is Kate Huey. She used to be the dean of the chapel at, um, at, the United, at the United Church of Christ's headquarters in Cleveland. It's called the Amistad Chapel. And she wrote a commentary every week um, for both Bible study and for preaching. Um, and she came up with a reflection about this, about this passage um, 
that is just uh, very special. So we just really quickly think, make sure I've covered all my... So if we talk about Jesus, initiate, he initiates this conversation, sort of the ultimate of normal everyday activities, right? In their case, go, she's going to the well. It's sort of like when we have to go to the grocery store for milk because we forgot it. It's kind of one of those things, or to keep water um, if you use bottled water and all those kinds of things. Um, and then what would you do if you got to a well and there's no bucket, but you still, and you ask for water anyway? Um, and then how often do we ignore people who we're, we either don't understand or are afraid of or um, don't think that we're supposed to talk to? We kind of do some of it. I, I'll admit that I do that. Um, and uh, what does it mean, I guess, for Jesus to ask for a, a drink of water? Um, and then he says that he doesn't need the drink of water because it's got living water. Um, and what about the preacher that we have in this story? Who's the preacher in this story? Anybody? Who's the preacher in this story? Who, who, who goes and preaches? Leah. Leah. Leah, right? She runs back and she proclaims the word. <laughs> That's what we get another word for preaching, proclaiming the word. She heard the story. Jesus told her about all this stuff. And then she went and told everybody else in her words. So she was the preacher. I don't think she was supposed to be, but she was. And then God, then it goes even further that she, that the woman was called by God, called to preach, for it's just what she did when she thought the messages, that she had to bring those messages to her town. She wasn't called by Jesus to recite creeds or doctrines or to have a worship service. He can't be the Messiah. He can't be the Messiah. Is he? He, he, come on. She's at, she even asked him a question. So, a courageous willingness, one scholar says, happens. Could this be the Christ? Uh, we implicitly understand that the most unlikely preacher is preaching and proclaiming a powerful truth. Is this Jesus? Did I talk to Jesus? Or even more significantly, did Jesus just talk to me and ask me for water? So um, Kate Matthews puts this, Kate Matthews Huey puts on this great, this great twist on this. She, how many of you have seen a TED Talk or heard of a TED Talk? On, yeah, there are all kinds of them. If you go on um, YouTube, um, you can find them. They're on every subject imaginable. Some of them are really good. Some of them aren't so good. But in any case, she said her, she encountered her first one. A wonderful writer, wait to hear this name. Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. She's a woman from Nigeria. And uh, she talks about growing up in Nigeria in a, in a well-to-do family. They had servants. Um, and uh, the, the, the domestic help that they had came from a nearby village. Fide, whose poverty moved Adiche to pity whenever her mother offered his family extra food and old clothes. That was how Adiche thought of Fide, a poor boy. So when she visited, um, they were so shocked about, the, about how she went to visit his house. And she was shocked that they made these beautiful patterned baskets that they wove because she thought of it as a poor boy. And um, she had in her head that, that that was who they were, and they couldn't do anything but be poor. 
And then the same girl who thought those, that the, the, the servant of her was poor and could never do those beautiful things, she came to America for, to go to college. She was dismayed that her roommate asked her how she learned to speak English so well. English is Nigeria's official language. And when her roommate asked her to play some of her tribal music, it was her turn to be dismayed when Adjit played a Mariah Carey CD. <laughs> Single stories are so much simpler, right? If we know somebody in only one way, it's so much simpler. Adjit then describes her roommate's default position as patronizing, well-meaning pity. Because she had only one single story of Africa. The one our culture tells us about beautiful landscapes, beautiful animals, and incomprehensible people fighting senseless wars, dying of poverty and AIDS, unable to speak for themselves, and waiting to be saved by a kind white foreigner. For her roommate, that single story was easy to understand, and she didn't seem to know how to encounter and engage Adiche as an equal, as someone who was like her in many ways, as a complex person shaped by many different stories. And then uh, Kate says, of course, life is much simpler if everyone has a single story. As Adache says, that shows them one thing as only one thing, and we tell that story over and over, and then they become that thing. This is about power, of course, when someone else decides that you, what your story is and therefore who you are because of it. That's where stereotypes come from, and we all know how helpful stereotypes are. This wonderful woman from Nigeria, Adichai, says that to engage a person properly, we have to engage all the stories that have made that person who they are. So I was thinking about, so Kate then says, so I was thinking about that when I read this story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in today's reading from John's Gospel, I've read this story so many times, it's one of my favorites, the longest conversation Jesus has with anyone in the Bible. I just love that such a noteworthy conversation is with a woman, Kate says, and I'm particularly happy that we read this story about a woman in the Gospels, although, like many biblical women, she's nameless during Women's History Month. This isn't just a woman, but a Samaritan woman, one with many husbands, but let's just boil it down to the single story. She's an unclean sinner. Jesus, as a Jewish male, is not supposed to be talking with her, let alone accepting water from her or anything she has touched. Think about that. Those were the rules. And life is simpler when the rules are clear, right? So much for rules. Thirsty, Jesus asks for water. This stranger who has come to the well alone in the heat of day, long after the other women have left, She's surprised because already this story isn't going the way it's supposed to. And then Jesus starts talking about living water and be, never being thirsty again, which must sound pretty good to some who have, has to carry heavy clay jars every single day in the noonday sun back up the hill to her home. She says, sir, please give me this water. That would be so great. But then Jesus changed the subject and asked her to go get her husband which suggests to me that he knows she's had a rough time in life. Maybe her husbands have divorced her or died. Maybe she had to marry her husband's brothers as the law required. Or she's living with a man to avoid what happened to be an unattached female, what happened to unattached females in that society, with no male to protect or provide for her. Jesus seems to understand that this is a woman of many stories. 
Then Kate says, my favorite part is when Jesus says that he knows she's living with a man who's not her husband, but the woman she is unfazed. Maybe it's because Jesus doesn't judge her or tell her that she's only welcome to this living water so that she can repent and change her sinful ways. No, he's just sitting there with her, sharing a cool drink in the hot noonday sun and listening to her too. Kate then says, obviously the woman at the well doesn't feel the need to explain or defend herself. Instead, she's so impressed by this prophet, she thinks that this is the perfect opportunity to ask a theological question. What we would all do, right? (laughs) A theological question that's been nagging her for some time. The hot-button religious issue that divides and alienates Jews from Samaritans in that time. Where is the proper place to worship God? Up on the mountain, like the Samaritans say? Or in the temple in Jerusalem, like the Jews say? Kate then says, that might not be the first question I want to ask Jesus when I meet him face to face. But his answer, as Eugene Peterson translated in the message, says something really powerful about what it feels like to know ourselves and one another as people with many rich stories, complicated and beautiful, and each in its own way, full of grace. The time is coming, Jesus says. In fact, it has come. When what you're called will not matter, and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people God is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before God in their worship. God is sheer being itself. Spirit. Those who worship God must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Our true selves. Not the simple one-dimensional story that someone else uses to describe us. Or as Adiche says, that flattens out our experience because it makes things easier for them that way. Not the stereotype that sits so uncomfortably on our hearts and minds that sometimes we can hardly breathe. No. We come before God who knows our every thought and our every hope, our every gift and our every broken place, every single beautiful thing about us, every wonderful story, and even the ones that aren't so wonderful. We come before God. And God offers us what? A cool drink of water. Not just that, but also a place to rest. And not just that, he listens to all those stories and all our questions once again. What a lovely way for persistent, wondrous grace to come into our lives. So we barely touched some of the dimensions of the story. Some of those things may have run true for you. Some of those things were like, oh my God, why are you doing that? Why are you going there? That's, that, that's what the problem is in our country today. We have to maintain what we know is right. Yeah, some of you probably thought that. Here's another one for those of you here last week. How are Nicodemus? Remember Nicodemus? The big Jewish leader, the member of the, the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisee? How are Nicodemus and the woman at the well similar? And how do they differ? Think about that one. If salvation is healing, we're saved, we've become healed. 
What's the role of listening and acceptance in this story? Anybody have a thought about that? Listening. Jesus listened. That's all he did. He didn't preach. He made a few statements. But most of what he did was listen. Right? He complimented her. He complimented her, right. And he didn't question a whole lot about her story, even though he knew her whole story. <laughs> that must have been pretty creepy, right? How did you know? <laughs> she didn't say that to him either. She just sort of took it in stride, because maybe she was used to it. Lots of people, lots of scholars say the reason she came to the well at noontime in the, in the heat was because she got ridiculed when she came other times. Or she wasn't allowed to come near the well at other times because she was all of these things. And five times divorced, most likely, most historians now tell us, is that either her husband's died or her husband's cast, her husband's cast her off, which forced her, his, that person, that man's brothers to, to take care of her and marry her and add her to their family. It was an obligation under the law of the time. So if anybody, if any of you have been divorced, male or female, think about, think about um, if your husband's brother had to take you in. Or three of your husband's brothers had to take you in in succession because they all died. So there, there's so many dimensions of this story that we don't know and we don't know until we dig into it. But, but for me, to, it, it's... Um, it relates to our own stories. It relates directly to Nicodemus' story. Because why did Nicodemus come at night? <laughs> because he didn't want to be ridiculed by his friends. Why did she come in the daytime? Because she didn't want to get ridiculed by the people in the village. So they were exactly alike. They also had really good questions for Jesus. I had a professor I talk about him all the time, Walter Brueggemann. Walter, God bless him, is 86 years old now and still lectures and all that stuff. But in his lectures, uh, Linda and Aletha would be in trouble because he would spit. He spit all over the place when he lectured. They would get hit. (laughs) He never sat in the front of the class unless you didn't know that Walter did that. But whenever you asked a good question, Walter would go, That's a good question! (laughs) He knew you were safe. If you asked a question and he sat there in silence before he answered, you were in big trouble. <laughs> because he either didn't like your question or he was about to blast you out of the water, <laughs> which I saw him do, thankfully, never to me, but to a couple of other people who um, said something that was, in his mind, just totally out of bounds and inappropriate. But that's how we learn, isn't it? So the final question that I have, and I'm happy to hear other people's answers on this one, and then we'll wrap up and and get on our way. My favorite question. How and where do you find refreshment for your soul? Right here. Thank you. Others. How do you find refreshment for your soul? I do it by listening to music. In particular, right now, jazz. Or some really cool rock and roll songs that one of my best friends writes and sends to me on his little sound thing. He's an attorney who is becoming a rock musician. (laughs) He's always been really good, but he's now so successful as an attorney that he can take time to play his guitar all the time. And he's got a recording studio in his basement, and he makes these amazing songs. And I used to be the only one that ever got to hear them. Now he plays them in public. And with his gift of uh, gathering people and public speaking, he hosts a blues jam now. And I told him, you got to do that stuff. And he's actually thinking about starting his own recording label. <laughs> and he's going to be the first artist. 
So I listen to his music too. That's that's soothing to me. And sometimes some things that I do with my grandchildren, not all of them, but some of them. I have ten grandchildren, and two of them live with us. So, um, but I especially love riding in the car with my granddaughter Sage, who's five, and to see what she sees and to hear the things that she asks about. We um, drive where we live right out by the, that monstrosity that Air Products is building. It gives anybody who's an Air Products person, but that huge thing that they're building. And it's only, it's only on the beginning steel of the fifth story. It's going to be 11 stories tall at Mill Creek and um, Hamilton. And so Sage and I count the stories as they put the steel up as we drive past there. And I said to her the other day, and that, see that empty lot right there? They're going to put a hotel there. Okay, well, you have to know that Sage and her family are going to, um, to uh, Great Wolf Lodge in April for a vacation. She's very excited. She loves to go to hotels, and she'll tell you that. So I said they're going to put a hotel there without missing a beat. She goes, I bet it's going to be another Great Wolf Lodge. <laughs> And that's the five-year-old's world, right? She she does those kind of things all the time. And um, God bless her, she's on the, mildly on the autism spectrum. But in this case, that helps those things. When you're with her alone, she doesn't have any filter. She tells you exactly what she thinks of everything. <laughs> and so um, that part of it is is truly wonderful. But but think about that. Anybody else have a refreshment for your soul? Walks good, absolutely. My dear friend Lois, who uh, my wife and I's friend Lois, she was my first church secretary. She was almost as good as Linda. Maybe actually she taught Linda, but anyway, she died at 94, and um, Lois was totally amazing. All I had to do to keep Lois happy was every once in a while we took can taps to the Brown McDonald's house. They collect them. And, but so we always went to the one in Long Branch because we could go for seafood. Um, ice cream in Ocean Grove and at least a half an hour that's Lois talking at least a half an hour sitting on a bench looking at the ocean she was good for months after that so those are all important things for you to know and for you to find if you don't have those things in your life Um, and um, another thing that, that feeds my soul is listening to other people's sermons um, and so uh, I, and it's not because I'm doing homework either. It's because I truly am fed by their incredible gift. Um, and I've got certain favorites uh, who just absolutely blow me away every time they talk. One is one of my classmates, Sharon Johnson Kirster. Sharon Johnson Kirster is pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church, Chicago, Illinois. Another is Otis Moss III, who's the pastor of the largest UCC church in the United States, Trinity United Church of Christ, Chicago, Illinois. And um, a man who's actually running for Senate now, Raphael Warnock, who's pastor of the Old Ebenezer Baptist Church, part of the King's Church in Atlanta. Um, And I mean, that could probably come up with the whole list for you. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Charles Gilchrist Adams, who, when he preaches, the congregation amens and amens until he uses such a big word that they don't understand it, and they go, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, those are things that feed me, and uh, I'm weird, I don't And I do. But, so, what I would suggest, too, is when you hear the story again, if you come to worship on Sunday, and you hear the story again, 
take note of what you hear different when you hear the story again. Or when you hear me preach on some on a, a sermon on that text, but it's going to be really different than what I than what we talked about tonight. Um, because it's all there. We just have to scratch around and find it. Um, and like I said, this is the longest conversation Jesus has with anybody and one of the most complicated conversations he has with anybody. So um, uh, God bless you all for, for listening and taking part. Thank you to, to um, Leah and our, our of course, uh, intrepid reporter, <laughs> Angela. And um, thank you to uh, WJ, what is it? WJWS, our, our News 3, our TV station. So now if we'll pray together the prayer that you find. Lord, you are the source of our life. Nurture us in every way so that being loved so well by you, we can create a world of love in your image. Now listen to this sort of benediction. I love it. Drink of the deep love of God as it fills your heart let it overflow to those near you who most need to be seen and heard by God. Amen? Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Travel safely, travel in mercies until next we gather, and um, get home safely, please. And I hope you have your DVR on because we're 15 minutes into the Chicago trilogy. Sorry. I know some of you are TV hounds like some of the rest of us.